Heavenly Father, it is so wonderful to know that we have a book before us that is inerrant, that it is infallible, because it comes from an inerrant and infallible God, that you are truth itself and you do not lie. And so, Lord, we pray that we would have ears to listen to the truth this morning and that we would flourish as a result. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we've come to our final chapter in Hosea, Hosea chapter 14. We've been working our way steadily through the book uh, as we've looked at a collection of prophecies given by the prophet Hosea uh, many years ago uh, to the Israelites during the division that was happening between the kingdom of Israel. So there was the kingdom of Israel and then, of course, there's the kingdom of Judah. And so we've come to the end of the book And here at the end of the book where there's been a lot of doom and gloom going through and a lot of threatenings from God of judgment for the sins of Israel, we have here in chapter 14 uh, a very positive ending to the book, an encouragement from the Lord as to how Israel will look in the days to come. And that is given to us in verses 4 through to verse 8. Verse 4 through to verse 8, which is found on page 899. I encourage you, if you've got a black church Bible there, open it up to page 899. Hosea chapter 14, verse 4 through to verse 8, we read of how the Israelites will flourish like lovely plants. We read in verse 4, it says, I will heal, that's God, their waywardness and love them freely. For my anger has turned away from them. He will be like the dew to Israel. He will blossom like a lily. Like a cedar of Lebanon, he will send down his roots. His young shoots will grow. His splendor will be like an olive tree. His fragrance like a cedar of Lebanon. Men will dwell again in his shade. He will flourish like the grain. He will blossom like a vine. And his fame will be like the wine from Lebanon. Here we have a whole bunch of images, and I've loved going through Hosea with you together, preaching through this book. I've gotten to know it so much better, and see all the images that Hosea uses. He uses so many different illustrations as he gives his prophecies, and he loves his agricultural illustrations particularly, and that is shown here, where we have all these different plants to illustrate the prosperity of Israel. We see that they are meant to be like a lily in, uh, in verse 5. It says, I will be like Jew to Israel. He will blossom like a lily. Not just a lily that's there um, dying away, but it will be a blossoming lily. That's how the Israelites will be. They'll also be like cedar of Lebanon, it says in verse 5. And uh, that is to, in, and then um, with the cedar of Lebanon, using that as an illustration, is to illustrate how strong, how fragrant, and how it will be a protecting plant. We see in verse 5 it says, Like a cedar of Lebanon, he will send down his shoots, his young shoots will grow, giving indication of strength. A tree that is strong is one that sends down roots and also sends up shoots. I have some tree uh, plants in the backyard that I've been trying to cultivate for quite some time and they just seem to stay the same size year after year and so I'm wondering what's going on beneath the soil because I know what's going on above the soil and it's not much and so I wouldn't call those plants particularly strong they're weak but the cedar of Lebanon will be is an illustration for what the Israelites will be they will be strong they'll also be fragrant in verse 6 it says his splendor will be like an olive tree his fragrance like a cedar of Lebanon Uh, cedar has a distinct smell apparently um, for those who know the different types of timber and it's a, a smell that people love it's a delightful smell 
And that's how the people of God will be. They'll be fragrant like the cedar of Lebanon. And also in verse 7, it continues to talk about uh, Israel as a cedar of Lebanon. In a different way, it says, Men will dwell again in his shade. And whenever there's a hot summer's day here in Australia, we do understand what it is to be under a nice shady tree. Uh, You want to move as quickly out of that glaring sun and get under a nice tree. And that's what the cedars of Lebanon are like. They are ones that give great protection. They're strong, they send down roots, they send up shoots, and they smell good, but they also give protection to others. But that's not the only plant. Uh, Well, we've had the lily, now we've had the cedar of Lebanon, but also Hosea gives an illustration of an olive tree. In verse 6, it says, His splendor will be like an olive tree. Why olives mentioned here? Well, olive trees are known for their splendor, their majesty, uh, their bountiful foliage, but also they're quite valuable. Um, Olive oil is one of the most uh, sought-after commodities uh, in this kingdom at this time because uh, you can use it for so many different purposes, uh, for oil, for cooking. It is there, it's available. And so the olive tree is known for its, uh, for its fruit, which gives great blessing to the people who own such a tree. And that's how the Israelites will be. They will be valuable. They'll be prosperous. And similarly... Uh, We see two other types of plants used to describe Israel in verse 7. In verse 7 it says, He will flourish like grain. Grain, of course, is known for its fruit. Otherwise you wouldn't pay much attention to it. You'd think that it was just one of those grasses that needs to be mown down. But because of its fruit, because of the grain, the food that you can get from it, it is quite valuable. And also vines are known for their fruit as well. In verse 7 it says, He will blossom like a vine and his fame will be like the wine from Lebanon. Vines are known for their grapes, for their fruit that they produce, and then the wine that comes from them. And so we see here again and again these different plants used, four different types of plants, lilies, cedars, olive trees, grain, grapes, and, uh, and grapevines, so five, sorry, five different types of plants, and they all give this idea of strength, of beauty. You think of the lily and how beautiful it looks, delightful with the fragrance of Lebanon and the richness of the, the fruit that comes from these different plants. And it's quite appealing as you look at these verses to think of someone like this, to think of a nation like this. If you know anything about plants, you start to really love this illustration as it comes through. Now, I'm not one for plants, generally speaking, but in the last few years I've been trying and I am starting to value plants more and more in my own little patch in the backyard, but also as I go for morning walks uh, through the local park here. I try to look at different trees through the park and you get to know them. You, you get to know different ones and the, the way that they've bent in different particular ways, uh, different types of trees, and you try and admire them and you see the strength that's in them and you see how they are powerful uh, images from God for us as to how he will strengthen his people. And it really pushes us back to the idea of the Garden of Eden as well as a place of paradise, a place of strength, of prosperity, That is what is being encouraged here as we look at Hosea 14 and these verses. But the thing is, when we look at our own lives, this is speaking of Israel here, when we look at our own lives, I don't think we very often describe ourselves as flourishing plants. In some ways we flourish, but there's something that taints our lives, 
something that prevents us from being described as wonderfully here in verses 4 through to 7 and 8. And what is that? Well, it's the weeds of sin. As we look at our lives, we don't see the splendor that we should. Instead, we see the weeds of sin choking out the flourishing that should happen in our lives. Instead of being beautiful, we're often ugly. Instead of being strong, we're often weak. Instead of being fragrant, we stink like something rotting because of our sin. Instead of being protection for others, we actually harm others and take advantage of them. Instead of being splendid, we are horrible. Instead of being fruitful, we are fruitless. We look at our days sometimes and think, what did I achieve? And you're just are conscious of all the wrong that you did. So the question then is, how can we change? How can we be like these these flourishing plants that are given to us in verses 4 through to verse 7. How can we flourish instead of diminishing with our lives? Well, any fruitfulness that comes from our lives, any flourishing, has to come from God, not from ourselves. And we see that in the text. How will Israel accomplish a flourishing like these plants? How will it happen? Well, it's by God. We see in verse 4, God says, I will heal their waywardness and love them freely, for my anger has turned away from them. I will be like the dew to Israel, and then he will blossom like a lily. God was due to Israel. God is the one who strengthens them. And even over in verse 8, we read, O Ephraim, what more have I to do with idols? I will answer him and care for him. Verse 8, the second part, it says, I am like a green pine tree. Another plant given to us in this text, but it's in reference to God. He's a green pine tree. Your fruitfulness comes from me. If we are to flourish, if we are to look better than we are, it has to be because of God. It has to come from him. So how can you flourish in God, through God? How can God bring about what is happening in the life of the Israelites here in your life? Well, it's only by being in Christ, because Christ is the true flourishing plant. Christ is the only one who ever accomplished what we read in verses 4 through to verse 7. Christ is the only one who is always beautiful, always blossoming, shining like the sun in unapproachable light. You look at a lily and you think, oh, how wonderful it looks. But Christ looks even more majestic. Christ looks even more wonderful. Christ is always strong. He has deep roots, he has strong shoots going up, and we know that he is so strong that we describe him as omnipotent. He has all power. He is the one who fulfills these verses better than any person can. Christ is always fragrant. He's sweet to the senses. New Testament talks about the fragrance of life that we can smell like life, and that is Jesus. He smells of life. He is fragrant to us. He delights our senses. Christ always protects, like the cedar of Lebanon is supposed to protect, it's supposed to provide shade. And Christ is one who protects. He looks after his people. No matter how much danger you are in, Christ can protect you. doesn't matter how bad the sun is shining down upon you, he will provide protection for you. 
And Christ is always splendid. He's majestic. He's the king of kings. He's got that splendor that is described of the olive tree there times infinity, really. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. There is no one more majestic than Jesus Christ. And Christ always flourishes and is fruitful. We saw that the grain flourishes, the vine flourishes, it produces great fruit. And Jesus is the one who produces more fruit than anyone else. As he regenerates hearts so that people actually become Christians. And then as he works in people's lives so that they produce the fruit of the Spirit. Jesus is the one who flourishes like these plants in a way that we can't even dream of. And so that means that if you are to flourish, then you must be grafted into Jesus, the true vine, the one who really flourishes. And that is a teaching that is given in the New Testament. And we saw that in John chapter 15. Turn with me there again. John chapter 15, page 1068. Page 1068. John chapter 15. And I'll read from verse 1. John chapter 15, verse 1. Jesus is speaking and he says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Jesus is very clear in his teaching here. He is the true vine and we are the branches. If we are to flourish, it is to be by being in Jesus Christ. And this is true, that we can blossom in Jesus Christ. People should be able to see Christ's beauty in you. If you are a Christian, they should be able to see Christ in you and think of you as a beautiful person, particularly as they see Christ's love in you shown to other people. It should be that people say about you, if you're a Christian, there's something different about you. And they can't quite put their finger on it at first. The way you behave, the way you interact with others, there's something different. And what is that? It's Christ in you. It's you being grafted into that true vine And so you are actually flourishing because you're part of the vine that flourishes. And when people see you, they should say, there's a strength there. They see a strength there that is different from the strength that they see in other people. Because it's Christ's strength. The true cedar of Lebanon, the one who is really strong, who puts his roots down and his shoots up into the air, you are grafted into him and so you take on that strength. We're actually discussing at Bible study this week on Tuesday night whether everybody can be bought in this world. Someone made the comment that everybody's got a price. 
that if you want someone to do something, you can eventually find a price that is right, someone threw out there. And I said, well, I hope I can't be bought on some things. I like to believe that I have the strength of Christ in me, that there's certain things that it doesn't matter how much money you offer me, I am strong enough to resist doing what you want me to do. And church history teaches us that this is true of Christians, that there have been many people who have undergone extreme torture, horrible things, which sometimes I read and then I go, I really shouldn't be reading this. I'm going to have nightmares over this because this really happened. It's not a horror movie, which is make-believe. These are real things that happened to my brothers and sisters in history, awful things, but they stand firm. Why? Because Christ stands firm and they stand in him. They are grafted into that cedar of Lebanon that has deep roots so that they never back down. And people should not only see a strength and a beauty in you, they should smell that you are fragrant, that there is life in you. As I said before of that text of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, he says, through us, Christ Through us, Christ spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Him, and that fragrance is life. We can people should be able to smell the knowledge of God on us, and smell life in us as they hear about the eternal life that Jesus offers, and then they too join in with it. And if you are a Christian, you should be one like the cedar of Lebanon that provides protection. You don't just smell like a cedar. You don't just a strong, you're not just strong like a cedar, but you also offer protection to others. It's wonderful to see Christians being protectors of the weak, of people that no one else will make a stand for, no one else will look after. And that's been seen again and again in church history. And the Roman Empire, infanticide was a common practice. They'd put the babies out that they didn't want to just perish. And what would the Christians do? They'd gather them up and look after them, and teach them about the Lord Jesus. And these little infants that were cast out would grow up to be believers in Jesus Christ. What is that? It's a shade of protection. It's being grafted in to that cedar of Lebanon that provides protection for the weak, for the orphans, for those that no one will stand for. And it should be seen in you as well that if you're a Christian, that you are providing protection for others. And people go, why do you keep helping me when I keep hurting you sometimes and you just keep coming back and you keep looking after me? Why do you do that? Because I'm grafted into Jesus Christ, the great protector. And people should even see that you are splendid and majestic in the way that you're a prince and princess in the kingdom, that you have a you carry with yourself this joy, this delight, as though the world is yours. You have inherited the earth because you know that Christ, your king, reigns supreme. And there should be a fruitfulness in your life. If you're grafted into the true vine, there should be a fruitfulness as you are grain. Uh, you're producing like grain. You're producing like a vine with its grapes. As you witness and people become Christians, that's fruit that you're bearing from Christ. And as you conquer sin in your life, That's fruitfulness as well, like the grain or like the grape vine. So the question then is, how can you flourish like a plant in Christ? How can you connect into Jesus? If that is the way the Christian is supposed to look, and we look at our lives and we think, oh, am I flourishing in that way? How can I connect into Jesus Christ? Well, it's by prayer. 
that we connect into Jesus Christ. And that is shown in the text as well. Go back with me to Hosea chapter 14. Hosea chapter 14, page 898. Page 898, Hosea chapter 14. And we read in verse 1, it says, Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. That's us too. Our sins have been our downfall. We need to return to the Lord. So what are we to do? Verse 2 tells us, Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. Assyria cannot save us. We will not mount war horses. We will never again say our gods to what our own hands have made. For in you the fatherless find compassion. How are you to be grafted into Jesus Christ? And how are you to draw strength from the roots that are Jesus so that you can flourish, so that you can be fruitful, so that you can be beautiful, so that you can smell nice, so that you can offer protection to those who need it? Well, it's by prayer. And there's three types of prayer, at least in these verses here, that we should be praying. What's the first type of prayer that we should pray? It says in verse 2 that it should be prayer of repentance. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins. We need to admit that we are a sinner and we need forgiveness. That is the beginning of our prayer. It should be that we come to God and confess our sins. And we want him to then do things for us. What's that in verse 2? It says, and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips, that we may be people who actually have something to offer you because you will work within us. And then there's this wonderful prayer of adoration in, verses, in verse 3. What is the Israelite supposed to say to God? Assyria cannot save us. We will not mount war horses to deny things that in the past we may have trusted in other nations to save us. That might be your politicians, your Australian politicians. You think, oh, they will save us. But now you come to God and say, Liberal government, Labor government, Greens, none of them can save us. And we will not mount war horses. We will not trust in the machines that we have today that are so strong. No. And we'll never say, again, our gods to what our hands have made. We won't trust in idols. Instead, what will we trust in? For in you the fatherless find compassion. You see this praise that is given that I'm denying these other strengths and seeing that in you we can find strength, in you we can find compassion. And so when you pray, you connect with the true vine and you harness God's power, Christ's power, to flourish like a plant. We're supposed to take words to God if we are to flourish and to grow in him. It's interesting there, it doesn't say take works in verse 2, which is what the world loves to tell you. If you are going to flourish in this world, it has to be by works. It has to be that you are a good person and then God may bless you so that you can flourish a bit more. It's works, works, works. What does it say in verse 2? Take words to God. Nothing else, words. And what is that? That's prayer. That's how you approach God, for his blessing, for his strength. Maybe you've never prayed in this way before. And so when you look at your life, you do not see flourishing. That should be there. It means you've never been in the true vine. So this morning I encourage you, Make this the morning that you take words to God and ask for forgiveness for all your sin. 
That's what it says there in verse 2. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins. Not some of my sins, all my sins. And if you do that, if you do that for the first time today and you truly do it, then you are grafted into the true vine and you will begin to flourish. You will start to be beautiful in this world. You will start to be strong. You will start to be a protector of the weak. You will start to smell of life to others as they look at you. You will be splendid and majestic. Maybe you've prayed this way before, but you don't take words to God as you once did, that you do not pray as you should. And so it's not surprising that you no longer flourish as you should, that you do not look like what is described of the Israelites here. You become like a flower that is chopped. And so you have some beauty about you, but it's a fading beauty, kind of like those flowers that I sometimes buy my wife, Jill. I don't buy flowers very often for her. One of the reasons is she's allergic to a lot of the different scents. When I'm preaching this morning on you'll blossom like a lily, uh, that has to be one of the worst things that uh, Jill can smell. Um, If she walks into a wedding and there's lilies at the end of every uh, pew, uh, she has to take some serious allergy tablets. Uh, And so I have this excuse that I don't have to buy her flowers for some reasons, uh, and one of those is that she's allergic to a lot of them. But the other reason I don't like buying flowers for her as well is because they fade and die and droop on the table so quickly. And it seems like a bit of a waste of money because they've been cut off from the root. And what do you eventually do with those flowers? They go in the bin or they go in the back garden used as a bit of compost. And so it seems like a complete waste. And that's what you're like if you don't pray to God. You're cut from the root. You're cut from the true vine. You're cutting off that supply that God gives you of strength so that you can blossom and flourish and produce fruit in your life. And Jesus warns that those branches that don't draw upon him, what happens to them in John 15? They're picked up and thrown into the fire. They're disposed of. Those who don't pray regularly to God are illustrating where they really stand with God, that they're apart from Christ. And Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so if you want to be a part of Christ, you trust in him and continue to draw upon him in prayer. If you want to flourish in this world, if you want to blossom, if you want to be beautiful, then you need to be a person of prayer. You need to take words to God regularly. That means privately, having set times of prayer each day is a wonderful practice to have. In the morning, in the evening, have times where you pray to God. And throughout the day, being constant in prayer. When you've got something really scary happening, some time of sharp suffering that's come to your life, it should be immediate to pray in response, to draw from the roots that you're connected to so that you can get through whatever struggle you're having. Jill thinks it's funny that when I'm watching a movie and something serious is happening, some sort of disaster is happening, someone's running from someone who's trying to catch them and kill them, that I actually pray for the person. I say, help, Lord, help. It's a quick prayer. And then I catch myself and think, what are you doing? It's a movie. 
And I even did it this week when we were reading a book of fiction together. I was, I started to pray as I'm reading it aloud to Jill. I'm starting to pray for this person that she'll be safe from those who are trying to kill her. And it's because, uh, it may be sounding like I'm talking myself up here this morning, but it's because I've become so constant in prayer when something bad is happening that it's my impulse and I don't even think about it really. I just start praying for whoever's in pro- who's ever having problems so that God will protect them. And that's how we should be. That prayer is an immediate response. We're wanting to draw from the root for help, which is Jesus Christ. And so when we rejoice as well, the automatic response should be, thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you're doing in my life. They may be quick prayers, but they're prayers nonetheless throughout the day. And we should pray corporately as well. We're not supposed to just draw on the vine on our own. We have a great privilege that we can gather with brothers and sisters and pray with them. So come to gatherings like the morning services, like prayer services, like prayer meetings that we offer at this church, so that you can draw from the true vine and so that you can flourish, so you can blossom, so you can be one who is strong for others. And even when you gather with other Christians, spend some time in prayer. It may seem like a bit odd at first, If you say, you're talking with someone and you say, we should really pray about that. They say, oh, okay, yeah, because they're not in the habit of doing that. But you can start to cultivate that and you feel less awkward the more you do it. Even this week, I was talking to some strangers who professed to be Christians and they were telling me about um, some surgery that uh, his grandson was having. And I said, can I, and they knew I was a pastor. And I said, can I just pray with you now? And he said, oh, okay, yeah, all right. And so I prayed with him for that situation that was going on. And that's how we should be. We should be having prayer, not just in formal gatherings with one another, but also privately. As we gather together, there should be times of prayer because we know that we want to flourish. We know that we want to bear fruit. We know that we want to be fragrant, that we want to be strong. And so we gather together to pray. So do you want to flourish in Christ? Pray, pray, pray. Now, it may sound legalistic, but it's true. If you want to flourish in Christ, you must connect with him in prayer. Otherwise, the words of Christ in John 15 are true, that you're being apart from him. And apart from him, you can do nothing. And it works. The strongest Christians I've seen are usually the ones who I know have very significant prayer lives. They are regularly spending time in prayer. And so they flourish. And the wonderful thing is the more you flourish, the more you pray, and the more you flourish, the more you pray, and the more you flourish, the more you pray, and it just keeps on going. Take words to God and flourish in him. And so verses 4 through to 7 can be said of you, that you are like that lily, you are like that cedar, you are like the olive tree, you are like the grain and the grapevine. You are known for fruitfulness. You are known for strength, for fragrance, for majesty, for beauty. Because you are in Christ, who is beautiful, strong, fragrant, splendid, and fruitful. Let's come to God in prayer now and ask for his flourishing in our lives. Heavenly Father, We ask for your help.
we come to you with words now, what not with works, but with words, and ask that you would forgive all our sins and receive us graciously, that we may offer the fruit of our lips. We know that nothing in this world can save us except for you. You are the one in which the fatherless find compassion. And so, Lord, we come to you and ask for your blessing upon us. Help us to flourish because we are in Christ by prayer. That we have come to him in repentance that first day, that happy day when Jesus washed our sins away. We came to him in repentance and faith. And we continue to come to him in repentance and faith and prayer day by day. And so we are like the lilies of the valley. We are like the cedars of Lebanon. We are like grain and olive trees and fruitful vines. Oh, Lord, we pray that you would continue to bless us day by day because we draw upon you in prayer. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.